You're listening to the Irish Times. It's Monday morning. It's the Added Time podcast, and I am Malachi Clerken, and I am in a great mood. But you are Pat Nugent, and you're a little. Yeah, a, a, a little bit. Just a little. Well, yeah. I, this is nitpicking on a kind of a ridiculous level. You are level. nitpicking. Yeah, uh, it is. That is not the Pat Nugent I know. Something that grinds my gears. <laughs> I was watching uh, League Sunday last night and the game in Castlebar. Yes. Mayo Monaghan. Yes. Impressive display from Mayo to yes. uh, get through to a league final. Yes. But it was the pitch that annoyed me. Ah. The groundsman, because it was a football game, removed the 65s from the pitch. All right. <laughs> okay. You know, people are annoyed like about Brexit and Trump and, you know, the world falling to bits, but... I didn't say it was important. Okay. I just said that it, it's something that annoys me. What annoyed me worse, actually, was last year when they did the reverse in, or the equivalent, I suppose, in mm. a hurling game in Parky Cueve, where they removed the 45s. Ah. Because there's no, there was Why no need for them. It? Yeah. And it meant that you had this yawning gap between the 65 yes. and the 20 metre line. Mm. And it just bugs me because you look and your eye is confused because somebody picks up the ball and you're going, is he 30 metres out? Is he 60 metres out? Whereas with the 45s... It must be deliberate as well though, isn't it? It is deliberate. Like it can't just be... Because Mayo are a hurling county. Like the, the Mayo hurlers play in McHale Park. Yeah. So like they must have to put them in from time to time. And the bizarre thing is it annoyed me enough that I actually went and looked up the rules because I assumed that uh, GA pitches have official markings. Mm. But actually, in the rules, it does say that a football game needs 45 metre lines and a hurling game needs 65. But they don't need both, depending on the sport. Okay. And so they're actually within the rules and it really bugs me. So you're getting annoyed for nothing? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I just want to, I just don't like the effect. It's like, imagine if you watched an American football game, they removed half of the grid because they were like, ah, oh, well, they tend to not use those ones that much. They tend mm, to play. A... Not really the same thing though, Pat. Mm. Not really. I just don't like the effect <laughs> that it has on, on the aesthetics of the match. Well, you are nothing if not an aesthete, Pat. <laughs> a lover of the beautiful things in life. I'm sure it didn't bother James Horn. It didn't bother James Horn. It didn't bother, I would say, almost anybody else watching the football leagues yesterday, during which uh, actual important things were decided. And interesting things. Interesting things, indeed. Um, uh, the top of, actually, Division 1 needn't really concern us. Carrie and Mayo will play in the final on Sunday, um, which is a novel final. The last time that they met was 1972 in a league final. Uh, so I've done my research on that. But uh, at the bottom, Cavan and Roscommon went straight back down after coming up, mm. uh, which we all kind of presumed might happen because both of them, they had, they had to win against, uh, Cavan had to beat Dublin or Roscommon needed a draw against uh, Kerry. Kerry and that wasn't going to happen for either of them. Um, Division 2 is interesting in that Meath came up uh, first time since 2006. Uh, Donegal came up with them. Um, and, and at the bottom of Division 2. I was wondering how long it would take you to Yeah, exactly, there. yeah, you say. Yeah, Tipperary got relegated, but I think the, the headline news is actually Cork's relegation. Yeah, let's not gloss over it too much. Like, to be fair, that is a dog, dog pit, dog pit, snake pit, 
of a division. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And, and I don't mean to gloss over it. Like Tipperary came yeah. very, very close to getting promoted to Absolutely. Division 1 last year. Yeah. So it is a surprise that they end up being relegated. But Clare caught them late in Semple Stadium yesterday to win that game. Yeah. Clare got 1-2 in basically injury time. Mm. And in doing so, not only saved themselves, but, but, but Cork. put Cork down. Yeah. Despite Cork uh, winning in Armagh. And it is a huge deal for Cork. Cork were in the Division 1 final in 2015. Mm. They were league champions in 2012 and All-Ireland champions in 2010. Mm. The idea that they're down in Division 3 now is just beyond the beyonds. Like, and with like, the resources they have. Yeah. And good under-20 teams and in recent favorite. years. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't really make sense. No. Like, it does make sense for Tipperary to yo-yo between three and two because, you know, it's not a football county. It's, it's a dual county and... As as you know far better than me, the decision a couple of years ago not to facilitate the the minor, uh, footballers. The minor footballers and hers together, you know, it, it sort of ghettoises it a little bit and they will bounce up and down between two and three. That's sort of their natural state. But, you know, it shouldn't be Cork's natural state. The other headline really is Meath, isn't it? Yeah, Meath going up. Like, they've been sort of hinting at this for a while. Um, it'll be interesting to see can they make it stick now uh, like Kavanagh and Common went straight back down after going up and that's the second time Kavanagh have done that uh, Roscommon didn't go straight back down the last time but went down within two years like Monaghan went Monaghan will now be in Division 1 for six successive years next year Galway have made it stick as well very well since they came up two years ago um, that's the big challenge is getting up and staying up um, so Meath will be like this is this is big boy stuff for them to have to try and and survive. Like Kildare couldn't do it. Kildare went went back down. Um, football needs Meath and Kildare to yeah to to kick on. Like they need Dublin need to. That's where it's going to start. They are going to have to be the canaries in the coal mine. Really, you know that they are going to have to start making shapes at the, at the Leinster Championship. And the beginnings of that is is getting into Division One, so it'll be interesting to see how they do next year. Um, the other down the ways, we'll not spend too much time on it, but Leash being promoted for the second successive year, they're up to Division Two now. That's serious work uh, from John Sugru, who went in there uh, at the end of 2017, and in his first what 15 months, two promotions and a Leinster final, like they're going in the right direction. Definitely. Um, Cardo gone in the other direction out of that division. Cardo was sent down by a, essentially a last minute score from Offaly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Cardo rising, Cardo rising hashtag will change for a week or, or yeah, so. Yeah, which is interesting because, you know, they were the, the ultimate sort of hard to beat team. I really, at the start of the, the, the league, I actually, I was looking through the, because Division 3, you know, it's all much of a muchness. Obviously, Leash are a bit better than most of them, but... Um, I kind of looked at Cardo. Cardo were fourteen to one to win Division Three, uh, and I thought as a as a as a swing in the dark. You know they were going to be hard to beat by teams, but they've obviously f- they have found a way to get beaten in a, in a couple of games where they shouldn't, um, and uh, it cost them. They went down on, on five points, which you know five points usually should keep you up, um, and uh, so they're gone now. And the other team that will go up out of there will be decided on Saturday. Louth play Westmeath. And the winner of that goes straight up. So, um, and the hurling semi-finals were on yesterday, of course. And Limerick and Waterford will be in the final on Sunday, and we will be talking to Sean Moran about that later. But first, of course, the only place to start 
is with John Delaney and Ireland and Gibraltar and all that good stuff. And Emmett Malone is on the line to tell us all about it. Thanks for joining us, Emmett. Hey, cheers, man. Uh, so, Saturday night, I'm guessing uh, that that must have been one of the more surreal match reports uh, you've ever had to do. Yeah, it was very odd. Uh, my predecessor in the job many years ago, um, Peter Byrne, I, th- I, I seem to remember starting a match report with, uh, this was a game of two halves, one of which I saw, one of which I didn't. <laughs> um, and, um, and, I, and I'm out of beat him, beat him by half to that. Yeah, yeah. The rumours that were going around the place, they were quite a distraction. Um, the FAI delegation were sitting just to my left. John Delaney was a few feet away. Um, the phone was hopping with either people telling me rumors or asking about rumors or you know um yeah i was so uh, and it was bitterly cold bitterly cold um which hadn't been expected um about the only thing that went right on this trip really i'd like the ireland ultimately winning us you know aside um was uh, discovering that uh, in the chaos of packing to go away i'd forgotten to take a woolly hat out of my bag <laughs> um, that was a great, a great, great joy to discover that just before kickoff, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was a very strange experience. Um, there was a lot going on, and um, and most of it wasn't on the football pitch. So, at what point did the rumours start going around? Well, I mean, look, the funny thing is, there's been rumours going. You know, look, there's a lot of wishful thinking always goes on around um, uh, around um, John Delaney um, from people involved in the FAI, who you know do not want to be named from football fans or, and from sections of the media, you know, and when, when things kick off or when there's a story, there's a lot of people who accelerate straight to the, this is the end of them um, stage, you know? So there were people saying that, you know, last week when the hundred thousand euro loan was revealed uh, and there was a lot of people through the week saying, you know, because the Sunday times had made no secret that they had something else that, you know, that whatever they had was going to finish them. And there were, there were wild rumors going around about what other papers might have, mm. you know, um, um, utterly unrepeatable stuff, you know, so mm. um, which didn't come to pass at all. Yeah, exactly. Turned, None of which turned, came out at all. And, yeah, on, exactly. On it just yeah. turns out to be, you know, presumably baseless or whatever. But the, the fact is that in the context of the build up to the game, they were they were doing the rounds as well. There was some very odd stuff doing, doing the rounds. So, um, um, so look, I mean, the rumours have been building all week. You know, people. Um, you know, I I, ha- I happen to be in the you know, like he'll outlive us all kind of camp with John Delaney, um, and so I was kind of sceptical enough. But certainly when you um, certainly when you arrived at the ground, there was uh, there was a, a kind of atmosphere in the of expectation in the um, in the press room. I think there was already a suggestion at that stage. This was this was two or three hours. They'd said their the accreditations were. Um, were available from three o'clock. They kick off locally with six, um, which brought us so small you could nip over there and nip back to your hotel, nip up the rock, do whatever you wanted, you know, uh, in those three hours. But when you got there, you realized that something was afoot. There was talk of uh, a statement from the FAI already, you know, for after the game. And um, and as I say, there were all these kind of different rumors about what the what the Sunday Times might have, what other papers might have, uh, and and what and all and you know by then there was already a sort of a hint that he that he that he might actually be going, you know. Hmm. Uh, and the first thing kind of clarification we got on that, I think, was during the game. I'm not sure um, that he would not be. Oh no, it was after the game, just after the game that he wouldn't be resigning and he wouldn't be going on gardening leave, you know, but it mm. was going to be a significant announcement. So all of this was going on. It was, it was, and, um, and, you know, you didn't want to be caught kind of busy with one thing when this announcement was made. So it was, it was, a, it was really, it was as, as, uh, as, as kind of crazy an atmosphere to be kind of covering a game as, as I've experienced for sure. Uh, let's get into it a little bit, Emmett. Um, uh, there was, 
are people looking at this the wrong way? I, I got the sense, there was, as you mentioned, there was a sense on Saturday night, you know, at a certain point that this was the end. This was the end of John Delaney. But it, is it actually the other way around? Is is when it all breaks down now, is he more entrenched than ever, more secure than ever? Well, I don't think he's more secure than ever, no. I mean, I think one of the key things here, and I tweeted about it the other night and took a bit of stick for it, but I do really think it's very important, is that he, he will be gone from the board. That is, um, that's an important uh, governance uh, reform that has been talked about since Genesis, you know, really, I think, essentially put him on the board. He put, mm. They put the chief executive on the board, and, uh, and that was an opportunity for somebody like John to go in and really, really seize control, to be in the room when all the key decisions are made. So you're running the organization day to day, Monday to Friday, and then, like, when, when board meetings come around, you're also in there at the key decision-making, and it's very, very difficult to make your senior kind of executive uh, answer to you if he's in the room for every for every uh, discussion about his performance. So, um, so look, that is that is absolutely key. And once he's out of that room, and once you know uh, he's no longer part of that decision making process, then for sure there is the, certainly the opportunity or the opening for a strong board to um, to assert itself um, uh, over a period of time, and, and and that you would think would make him more accountable ultimately. But the you know the prerequisite for that is a strong board, and and this board has never really shown any signs of that. Um, he has helped some of those people get onto the board. He has certainly helped, certainly, certainly helped keep quite a few of them on the board. And so they have owed him. Like you know, there is this sense, there's this perception from a distance that they owe John Delaney, and um, uh, and so there, there has never been really any apparent threat to his position, despite all the things that have happened, all the stories, the IRA song. That I know you and you recounted them in your piece today. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, there's there's been a lot of stuff, and uh, most of which he's got away with, without ever properly explaining to the outside world. And we're not even sure whether he's properly explained it to the board, why he did these things, whether he's apologized for the embarrassment that he's brought on the FAI at different times. And then there's the background story to this, which is that the FAI has been in you know, financial difficulty essentially for 10 years. It's been a really difficult period for it because of the repayments on the stadium. And, um, and you know, through that, John Delaney has put on this brave face to the outside world and claimed that everything was grand and everything was always going to be, you know, going to be sorted. And, you know, they're putting all this money into Irish football. But the reality is, as we see, where he has to lend the association, apparently, 100 grand to pay the wages, that that's, you know, it's, it's, it's your classic swan syndrome. You know, they're, they're kind of sailing around and above the waters looking like everything's okay or trying to look like everything's okay and everything's going like the clappers underneath. Um, this is this is an organisation that has been struggling for a long time. It's had to divert virtually every penny into paying off its stadium debt. It's, you know, they've had pay cuts out there of various descriptions. There's endless kind of stories about, about uh, cash flow problems. So this is the organisation that they, they are. And this has been a key transformational period for the game across Europe, the huge amounts of money flowing in to associations, you know, that essentially uh, the FAI is competing with to get to tournaments and for commercial revenues and all these sort of things. And it's hard to see. And and they are, and obviously the FAI are trying to reform the underage game here. And, and, and structurally, what they've been attempting to do is extremely positive. But they've been trying to do it on the cheap. They haven't had the, the resources to really pump into the game and do the whole thing in the way that anybody, you know, looking at it from the outside would recommend that it's to be done. So... This has been, you know, it, it, John Delaney's tenure has been very, very difficult. And, uh, and he has been, you know, a key factor in that. Uh, and, and the board have, have, have stood by and watched, apparently, happy to, happy to be just 
just part at the party, you know. So, um, so we'll see. I don't, you know, I don't think that. Um, I don't think it's the end of him as such, but I don't think it strengthens his position. I think there is some speculation as to whether this is uh, an exit strategy, um, uh, and and this is certainly a very plausible kind of theory that it's stage one in an exit strategy. They have left him. They, they've 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 hived off a very considerable chunk of the um, of the portfolio. Delaney is popular, like, you know, in Europe and stuff like that. You see in the vote that he gets, you know, that he got, like, I think he was second in the poll for the executive committee. That takes a bit of doing from a small association. Make no mistake about that. So, he, you know, he uh, he does the whole kind of, um, he does the whole kind of um, uh, bridge building thing with other associations quite well. He makes alliances with people. He wins people over. He's a persuasive guy. He's, you know, I've, I, you know, he's um, he, the politician side of him. Um, uh, can be quite effective. Um, I can see, in some ways, an argument for what they've done here on, on the, in, in terms of his skills, his skill set. But, um, but uh, uh, you know, administratively, it's it's incredible. Um, uh, they're splitting the CEO role. Uh, Delaney won't be uh, responsible, won't be answerable to the new CEO, and so he's getting a very a really plum deal here. But it does seem to be at the expense of the kind of operational effectiveness of the wider organization. But they have left him the way they have done it, with the way they have designed his role, the way they have titled his role. He will be eligible to run for um, uh, UEFA again, which he wouldn't have been if he'd kind of taken a further step back. Um, and I think what they're trying to do here is, is f- certainly facilitate um, a long-term exit into, into UEFA. Yeah, Emmett, that, the new role, as we said, on Saturday evening, there was all the rumours going that he was he would actually be leaving the association completely. Instead, the title is Executive Vice President, which, as you said, while not part of the board, he, in, according to the FAI, he would collaborate with the new CEO on many, many of the most important runnings of the FAI. And when, if you're collaborating with somebody who has done the job for 15 years before you, you could imagine that the senior partner in such a collaboration would have a strong influence. Like, we don't really know if his power has been diluted at all here, do we? Uh, well, we don't really know. I mean, the the, the, the report uh, which recommends this change says that they will have to, you know, it kind of states that they will have to work really closely and productively together, you know, but that's more aspirational than, than you know, than anything else. Um, it is a remarkable situation. I spoke to Neve Brennan, the professor from the UCD uh, School of Business yesterday, um, and she said that, the, that the, this sometimes does work in, in big organizations, that they, they uh, uh, adopt this sort of split, you know, in the, in the top row. Um, and she felt she say, says that it has seen seen uh, she has seen its work. She described it as unusual rather than unheard of. Um, but she did say in a great many cases it ultimately fails. Um, and that um, and that you know the companies revert to having one one boss and uh, everybody else answering to that person. So look, we'll see what's going to happen here. I mean, I have to say that barring something that was just insurmountable in terms of a blow to his uh, reputation or something like that that necessitated his immediate exit and my god we've thought there was a few of those down the yeah. years you know but, uh, but 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 we don't judge them by the same standards as the people who have to make that decision at Abbottstown um but barring something like that you know John Delaney's exit from the FAI was probably never going to be um um uh, as uh, you know as straightforward as, as people would have liked and um and I do think that some, you know, there are a couple of things um, 
been lost in the mix here. I, I do, as I say, think that ultimately this is the beginning of the end of the John Delaney era, whether that whether that might be because he ends up going to UEFA or something else. But but um, certainly, I think he will no longer be running the show in the way that he has been for 15 years. And a lot of people have been spent a lot of time wishing that that would be the case. And I think that that's significant. He will no longer be on the board of the association. His control of, on, on, uh, and grip on, on power in there will will have to be by you know it has to be lessened, and that might not be felt immediately but over a period of time it is bound to be um a lot will depend on the new ceo who comes in it's going to be interesting to see what process they go there go there ray walsh has has gone in now as interim ceo john delaney did much the same thing um uh 15 years ago Mm. uh, before he got the job on a permanent basis although absolutely it was a very the circumstances were very different and he was a very very different creature um so look there's a there's, there's a lot in play at the moment but um but ultimately the people who are running the association you know on a on an overall basis are the board and i think the board have to provide some answers for you know their part in a lot of what has gone on here not least the stories of the last couple of weeks you I mean, made in fairness Amit, you, you sort of made that point in your piece uh, at the start of your piece this morning that you know john delaney does ha- has uh, will go in front of the oireachtas committee in in a couple of weeks but it would be no bad thing as you say for some of the board to be there as well yeah, I absolutely think that, uh, and you know, perhaps it should be a separate hearing um, because I, I wouldn't, you know, what I wouldn't like is as as happened, it certainly happened the last time John Delaney was before a doll committee. Everything sort of got lost in the mix. Yeah, there were. Yeah, I remember that you were there. Yeah, the, mm. the two of us there. Well, what a great day that was for <laughs> democracy um, and, and journalism. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I thoroughly recommend the experience. I think people, ordinary uh, citizens, can go, can't they? Oh, anybody uh, can I go. Thir- yeah, I yeah. thoroughly recommend it. People should come and see John Delaney in action, mm-hmm. um, because one of two things will happen: either the politicians will acquit themselves much better than last time, and it will be a, a genuinely interesting day um, seeing him account for some of the things that happened. Or, or we'll have a repeat of last time, <laughs> in which people will lose all all remaining vestiges of their faith in democracy. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, but either way, it's entertaining. But um, yeah, look, uh, I yeah, I wouldn't like anything to dilute the kind of uh, you know the, the experience of seeing him perhaps answer some uh, you know effectively put questions. Um, but these guys, they they have been run, they're running the association for ten years. Uh, or, sorry, in some in a couple of cases, fifteen years. Um, they they have finally, absolutely finally, after uh, coming under a lot of pressure, uh, agreed to term limits. But they're all, you know, most of them are getting another one more term under the belt before they go as a kind of sweetener for having voted for it. Um, it, it, it has been a self-perpetuating um, clique um, at the top of the organisation, um, and they have long since stopped bothering to try to uh, justify their actions mm. to the outside world. And the stories that have broken over the last few weeks, I mean, I, I have to say I wasn't, the, I, I actually knew um, about his rent being paid, but I, I'd never been able to stand it up. Um, and I wasn't at all really you know, surprised even when somebody had told me that originally, because everybody knew that covers the FAI that the €360,000 was, was the start of it, and then there was very substantial expenses uh, on top of that, and that those expenses weren't known, you know, generally. So, so you know, there was a lot of leeway for them to be very substantial. Um, but the €100,000 loan was, was remarkable. Mm. But in both of those instances, there had to be board involvement. And, um, and these are the people who are supposed to be there. They have a, a you know... Um, 
duty to to uh, of care to the organisation and responsibilities in terms of its financial well-being, and they have made these decisions based on on, on that. And um, they're ultimately the, the the you know he is he was part of that board. He no longer is or will no longer be. But um, they are the ones who should be answering for. Um, the general state of the FAI, the day-to-day running of the FAI, the overall kind of vision of where the FAI should be going, um, and 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 how they have allowed John Delaney to have so much power uh, all these years. Uh, so yeah, I would absolutely. I think I think it's absolutely critical that they're made to answer and to justify their positions because I see very little justification for um, for most of their for their continued involvement or their continued kind of. Um, uh, them being left to kind of run the organisation into the future. Right, Emmett, let's move on to something far less interesting, which okay. was the match on Saturday. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, it was a completely <laughs> surreal occasion. Bad bad pitch, bad conditions, uh, yeah. awful game. But uh, Ireland scored a very good goal, got the result they wanted. Now Mick is coming into his first home game uh, with three points at the very least on the board. If you were Mick McCarthy, you'd actually be reasonably satisfied with your day's work there would you well yeah well i do yeah yeah i suppose you would be i mean ultimately you know for mick there's no there's no getting away from the fact that that mick was always going to look at it as a game that was just a you know potential banana skin uh you go to gibraltar and you win anything after that was a bonus um i mean there was a lot of scope for some bonuses like sean mcguire's going a hat trick and getting going mm. and being full of confidence and everything like that would have been terrific you know a few goals all round would have been good uh some more better football would have been good although it really was i mean the, the wind was incredible it was the whole thing felt like it was it was um it was being played in a giant wind tunnel um so yeah look uh, yeah i i think when it boils down to it, Mick will be kind of satisfied enough. Um, he got the three points. As you say, it was a decent enough goal. Most of the game was rubbish, um, but you know it was it, it was probably never going to be much better than that. Um, the pitch really didn't help. The, the combination of the pitch and the wind was just absolutely incredible. Like you know, you fractionally overhit a pass, and and it was just irretrievable uh, in an instant. Um, and and you know, Gibraltar were 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 okay to their credit. They uh, they played some okay football. I think it's always a bit worrying when a team like that is allowed to play a bit, you know. Um, uh, but but you know, they got the three points. They come into the game tomorrow night with with a win under their belt. I think the difficulty is that if you know if you're if you're Vladimir Weiss, the um, the uh, Georgia manager who has a bit of history with us, he's managed teams uh, Georgia and, and I think uh, Slovakia as well against us before. I think you're showing your lads that video and you're going, you know, we really don't have a whole lot to be frightened of here. Mm. And um, and and so I think if there was there's a downside to the other night, you know, we're coming off a very bad year, um, and you know perhaps through no fault of Mick McCarthy or the players or whatever, but we, uh, but we uh, haven't exactly done a huge amount to reinstill the fear factor. I think uh, any team coming up against Ireland right now will certainly feel that they have a chance. And we've, um, we've, we've kind of lived dangerously and got out of jail and all of those things with uh, Georgia a few times before. So they, they might feel that they owe us one as well. Have you any sort of sense of what sort of team we'll see? Uh, tomorrow night mm. for Ireland. Yeah, uh, I think it'll be very similar. Um, I, I think the uh, the most obvious kind of potential for change is like Matt Darty uh, probably won't start on the right side of midfield again. Uh, McCarthy kind of admitted that it hadn't really worked for him. 
Uh, didn't rule it out for the future at some stage, but I'd be surprised if he doesn't make a switch tomorrow night. Robbie Brady isn't completely fit, and he suggested the other night that he wouldn't get through the 90 minutes. But instead of bringing him on like with 20 to go this time, he might give him a start and, and look at, at taking him off in the second half. Uh, and Stevens, you know, probably didn't pull up any trees at, at left back. Um, and so, you know, it'd be interesting to see whether he tries to play Doherty there. Um, so that's that's one possibility. And central midfields, you know, there could be a change. Um, uh, Hendrick and, and Horan did. Did, did reasonably well. Hendrick obviously got the goal. Horan's frees were probably about the best thing in, yeah. in, uh, in the game. Um, two or three really outstanding deliveries in very, very difficult conditions. Um, uh, and they kind of, you know, before the game, when you're looking at the team selection, you're kind of thinking that maybe he should have taken a punt on, on Brady's fitness because because of his delivery at set pieces. But Horan really did very well in that front. So, you know, look, you have Harry Arthur there who would make things a little bit more defensive. Um, but which of those, which of Hendrick and um, Horan, you, know, I, I, you know, I think before the game, I would have been more confident that Horan would drop out and make way for somebody like Arthur or even Glenn Whelan uh, on this game. But... Um, but actually, I'm, I'm, I'm less. I'm, I, I kind of think think less strongly about that now. Maguire up front is obviously vulnerable as well, but the options aren't really great. I think we have, I think we have three strikers in the squad with one goal, international goal between them. So, um, uh, Aidan O'Brien is obviously a possibility. They could bring him in there, but I'm not 100% sure in the situation. I mean, you know that that you mightn't uh, just go with Maguire and try and try. You know if. Uh, McCarthy has talked about uh, uh, him over the last few weeks as as um, somebody he really admires. You know, playing very well at championship level, and maybe it's uh, not right to kind of just you know back backpedal on that straight away uh, after one game where he really didn't make much of an impression at all. All right, Emmett. Well, listen, I, I'm going to be there with you uh, tomorrow night, so uh, I will see you then. Okay, brilliant. Thanks, lads. Take care. The National Hurling League semi-finals were on in Nolan Park on Sunday. We are we now will have Waterford play Limerick next Sunday in Croke Park. Never happened before. It's a unique league final. I it? went through. I actually last night when I was doing the front page piece, I went through uh, however many years of uh, National League finals, and Limerick have never played Waterford in one. Huh. Yeah. Well, always yeah, good to have the other a unique thing that's pair. Happened is uh, we've never had the football league final on the same day as the hurling league. Final, so there you go. Another first. That voice there is Sean Moran, uh, who, who we have on the on the line to talk to us about the game. Sean Limerick beat Dublin one nineteen to one sixteen. A little bit of a winter game, but before we get on to Limerick, this was a good league campaign for Dublin, wasn't it? Yeah, if you're if you're, I was just thinking. I mean, if you're compiling a list of, of winners and losers in, in both the, fo- the football and hurling leagues, uh, in, in the hurling league, Dublin would 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 be up there. You know, they, they, they've uh, they finished top of uh, Division One B. I know that didn't really matter uh, in the context of the changing format of the league, but it's still, you know, it still it was a it represents a significant advance. Uh, you know, in Matty Kenny's first first year, they they beat Waterford, who are who are now in the the, the final and. Uh, and, and finished on on top. And I think yesterday, although you know it was a fairly uh, uh, it, was, it was it was a fairly convincing three point win for for, for, for Limerick. Uh, the good thing from Dublin's perspective was that having suffered a good bit of disruption in, in the early stages, you know, like they'd four players off within half an hour. Uh, they managed to 
lose momentum or lose the initiative um, in the middle of the second half, but still rally and make sure they weren't beaten out the gate, which sometimes could have happened to Dublin in the past. So I'd say Matty Kenny's quite happy. He's a couple of players to come back. And, uh, you know, they've, they've given a good account of themselves in, in this year's competition. Yeah, they, they, really like, they really have the bones of a, of a seriously good summer team when you look through it. Like, if you go from, from Alan Nolan and Gold's uh, Paddy Smith and Ono Donnell in the, in the full back line are both fixtures and Paddy Smith has, has really come on as a cornerback Sean Moran is going to play a sweeper that, that he's sort of holding the middle of the of the spine of the defence and Chris Crummy is there as well uh, I, funny enough Darrell O'Connell who you, the the former carrier hurler the cooler player who you know to my mind was a, a speedster midfielder and that's all he was ever going to be and a very good one uh, was at times playing sort of full back corner back yesterday, Mark and um, Mark and Graham Mulcahy at times, uh, and did a fine job as a, as a marker and as a you know bursting forward from there, and then in the forwards you know Danny Sutcliffe was brilliant in in flashes, Eamon Dillon Dillon is brilliant in flashes, and they're going to have Mark Shute, Conal Keeney. Um, they have the makings of a, of a serious team now for, for the summer. And a strong framework to hang it on, totally, as you say. Totally, yeah, yeah. Particularly nailing down the, the three and six slots. They, they, um, they set up with a sweeper, though, yesterday, Sean. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were surmising on the Sunday game last night that uh, this was to uh, preclude them getting a hammering. Um, it could just have been a tactical setup, though, I think, could it? Yeah, I, uh, I think probably uh, a bit of both. Um, you know, they wanted to make sure that they didn't lose the, the initiative in the match uh, very early on. Um, it had its drawbacks. They looked very uh, short-handed up front, you know, and it didn't really give them a great selection of out balls uh, until the, the late dash for the for the line when they kind of went more orthodox. But uh, it, it was a kind of a considered performance from them. I think they're very strong in defence. Um, there's probably more question marks over the... Uh, over the attack, although as, as Malachi was saying, the players to come back. Um, once he mentions also Liam Rush, so uh, you know, I, I think they, I think they go on out 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 of this with uh, with a good bounce. When you consider how unlucky they were in the championship last year, and how you know that they've, they've followed that up with the disruption of a change of management, but uh, also a, a good league. I think that you know they, they, they'll be right in the shake up for one of the three spots coming out of Leinster. And the Limerick side of things then, they've been impressive the whole way through the league. They've brought through more players. The squad seems even deeper than it, it seemed this time last uh, August. They, they basically won the game with a purple patch, didn't they? Yeah, they did. The one five without response, um, you know, from the 53rd, I think it was, to the 62nd minute. I mean, Matty Kenny was saying afterwards, yeah, that's what blew Dublin out, out of us. They, they didn't, uh, didn't manage that particular burst well. But, you know, Limerick... To an extent, for playing in in, in bursts anyway, and that, that was the decisive one where they got the goal, and the, the match kind of drifted out of Dublin's reach. But you're right about the enhancement of the panel that's taken place during the league, and you can tell John Kiley's fairly pleased with that. I mean, you you look back at um, you know last year that they finally got the, the All Ireland. Uh, team back together with Mike Casey's reappearance yesterday, but in his absence, you know Tom Tom Condon has had a terrific league uh, playing for them, and I'm sure he was disappointed uh, to be uh, you know more of a peripheral figure last last year. Although he got the, 
almost iconic catch at the end of the All Ireland final. But you know, he's come through. Um, they, they've had uh, you know a number of, of other players. They've had the McPherson players at their disposal for the for the whole spring. Uh, so you know, they, they, they've had I think it's thirty three players that they've they put out on on the fields, and there's no doubt they're the they're the deepest panel in in the in the game at the moment and uh, but also probably the most physical Matty Kenny was saying that as well afterwards, you know, it's the most physical uh, match the Dublin had in the in the league to date. So uh it's looking well for for, for Limerick at, at the moment. But it's funny how, you know, a, a good a good league, uh, you know, a, a great league if they if they win it, um can almost go wrong between then and the and the championship, but championship is different, particularly with you know the new format. And say you get off to a bad start, it can be very hard to to, to pick up momentum again. But you know Limerick couldn't ask to be any place better than they are at the moment. It's funny uh, there was a a, a point, uh, maybe sort of early-ish in the second half. Um, when Dublin uh, were were still reasonably in the game, and I was kind of looking at Limerick, going, "Are they playing within themselves here, or, you know, how, where do we pitch them? What are, what what are they? What is the extent of their their greatness, or or is it still here?" And then, like as you say, they Pat, they they really kicked into a purple patch, and for five ten minutes, we're just on a completely different level to to. What is a very admirable and co- coming along Dublin team, and it culminated with the goal. Uh, Jamie Flanagan was on on the pitch only about you like that goal five a lot, or six minutes. Well, it was just so so precise. Like started uh, like it zigzagged across the pitch. It was like three stick passes, uh, all diagonal across the pitch from uh, at full back out to to Dermot Burns. Dermot Burns. Sort of seventy yards. Keen Lynch catches with the back of his hand, turns around, and like the run, you know, he it wasn't even a kind of a, a hand pass inside for for Flanagan. Like Flanagan kind of came from behind his defender. It was nearly a slide rule stick pass into into Flanagan, and it was just so brilliant. Um, and there hadn't been any of that throughout the game, you know. As you say, Sean, like first sort of even even the first half an hour, maybe three quarters of an hour was kind of. You know, there was a bit of a wind, and it was a bit, you know, you score and we'll score, and all this sort of stuff. And and there was plenty of, you know, Limerick's physicality was was really showing. But this was just a lovely kind of cameo. And you go, and then you were going, oh right, exactly. There you go. That's exactly, you know, the sort of stuff that that sort of marks them apart and makes sends them into the summer. Whatever happens on Sunday, as the you know, they must be up there. Among the oh, sort of, yeah. among the favourites, yeah, you know, definitely. like as definitely. you say, Sean, like who who is going into the summer in in better shape? Like, yeah, yeah, and and interestingly, coincidentally, they uh, you know they they went to Nolan Park earlier in the league as well and uh, gave Kilkenny a bit of a hammering. But mm. it was the same thing it was two goals in the points just in the, the few minutes before uh, half time. Kilkenny playing into the wind and and were level. There was only a point in it and would have been thinking they were doing quite well in the circumstances. And then Limerick just uh, hit the buttons and uh, two one without a reply and just you know, changed the, the the complexion of the game going into the second half completely. So I think that they I think they probably have been playing within themselves, but more maybe in the sense that they've been using so many personnel that it's, it's probably hard to get the 
the, you know, the absolute championship rhythm uh, running uh, at this time of the year. But uh, no, I think we've, uh, we've probably explored all the hosannas we can stow on them <laughs> and, uh, and, and their merits. Yeah. Um, the other semi-final, Waterford uh, beat Galway one eighteen to nineteen points. Marky, talk to me about Waterford. Porrick Fanning, what he's changed, and you're not allowed to use the word shackles at any point yeah. in this answer. <laughs> yeah, like um, a, a little bit like uh, like the, the Limerick game. There, w- there was a part of this where I was watching Waterford and going, like this was Tyg de Burke's first start uh, of the league. Uh, he had missed a, a fair bit of it through injury, and I was watching for the first 20 minutes and like Galway should, Galway were giving them a, an absolute pasting and the worker was kind of lolling around as as the sweeper and I don't think they've really played very much of a sweeper I haven't seen I've only seen highlights of their games the other games this was the first of their games I've been at but as far as I know they haven't really been playing with a sweeper and this was the first time that they were and I was kind of going God I don't know has much changed here and Tig looks a little bit lost out there and he looked he was he definitely lacked sharpness you know a few of those those balls that you see Tig de Burke you see his red helmet pop up out of nowhere and you go wow like but he was kind of dropping the ball or he wasn't his 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 first touch wasn't great and that sort of stuff and you're going God this doesn't look great um, but they sort of they fixed it a little bit. He he started to play a wee bit more orthodox, and actually in the second half, then um, once they had Mikey Carney sent off, like Tyg had to kind of go and mark a man, like because they they were they were down to fourteen men, and you're you know it's it's a bit of a luxury sticking a sweeper in, just kind of roaming around, when they were giving them two extra men, you know. Um, what I was really really impressed with them as the game wore on. Look, the game had had a five minute turning point in which Stephen O'Keefe made two saves, one from Davy Glennon, which was a fantastic save, another from Joe Canning, where he came out and smothered him. And within two minutes, um, Stephen Bennett scored direct from a long distance free. That was a kind of a fluky goal. Now, had e- any one of those three incidents gone? Galway's way instead of Waterford's way game probably would have been more or less over because Galway were plenty on top and a goal would have sort of kicked them five, six points clear and two goals would have kicked them nine points clear and that would have been the end of it and the the fluky goal sort of kept Waterford in it they managed to get the next point and they went in at half time only two points down having been roasted for most of the first half but taking all that into account the rest of the game was a very nip and tuck game and I, I was just so impressed with the spirit and cohesion that Waterford have given the fact that the way the Derek McGrath era ended was such an emotional thing. Like, you know, the, the, everybody got this sense of the of the real sort of togetherness they had, the real sort of group uh, bond that they had. Um and I would the fear I would always have had for whoever was coming in after Derek was that, you know, that stuff isn't easily transferable. You know that it, that you know you, it's hard to fake that kind of thing to a new manager. Like you can say straight out, yeah, we're we're doing our best for Porik, and you know, and, and we're we're obviously we follow him, but you you know, it's hard to feel that straight off the bat and yet in the second half when they were playing against the wind against the Galway team that was humming but was missing the odd shot here and there but was well on top 
they really, really pulled it out. And they did it without, like, Austin Gleeson didn't have, he had one of those games where you kind of go, what's all the fuss about this Austin Gleeson guy? You know, he kind of was in and out, did a few couple of things here here and there. Uh, Noel Connors, for a guy who, you know, is be one of my favourite players and definitely one of my favourite defenders in the game, was getting a bit of a bit of a skinning from from Davy Glennon, who was getting out in front and scored three points from play and like Noel got on the wrong side of the referee and gave away three scorable frees as well. And yet they just they threw on a couple of subs like Jack Prendergast and Peter Hogan who made a huge impact. Park Mahoney tore into the game. Jamie Barron was probably the man of the match. And they were just really impressive in a kind of a, a dogged, non-flashy kind of way that really stand to them. Sean, the other thing that happened in the game that will kind of basically take up some column inches was the injury to Joe Canning. We don't know how serious it was yet. It, it was hard to tell from a distance, but um, he, he went down after a, a perfectly timed tackle by Kevin Moore, and we should say that their token now might be a groin injury. But he was down once or twice during the match, wasn't he? He... He basically has yeah. a month now to get fit and we know how important he is for Galway. Yeah, I mean, the, the irony is that he's he's been ever-present in the league and he's been playing really, really well mm. uh, for them. And uh, as Malachy referenced in his match report, I mean, the fact that he was in the situation where getting the shoulder and, uh, and the injury was because he was basically attempting the impossible to pull a goal out of thin air um, at the end because they were trailing. So... Uh, there will be a very anxious wait uh, there because it's it, it hasn't been it hasn't been a great league in a way for, for for Galway losing that match. I know it's only kind of one match, but it's the second time they've lost to Waterford now in a couple of weeks. Um, and losing matches they should win is something they've put behind them uh, more in recent years. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure as well how, how how much he's managed. That there are new players there, but how many will uh, will actually be? relied on to, to, to go for it when the championship co- comes around. I think there's a lot on uh, Michal Dunning's plate after yesterday. But the, the last thing he would have wanted was uh, was Joe Canning, an injury concern o- over him going into the into the summer. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it was a difficult afternoon, really, because uh, you know, you're, you're looking at, at them a man up and, uh, you know, going into uh, the sort of performance that would have been characteristic more a few years ago, panicking a bit, uh, some poor shot selection. Um, I think seven wides in succession when they were when, when they were you know ch- chasing the match or t- trying to get the match back within their their control and just the very visible sense at the at the match that all the kind of the, the buzz and the momentum was with Waterford even though they were they were a man down. Um, I think yeah that they'll they'll, uh, they'll have a lot of stock to take of, of this. It's worked well for Galway the past couple of years, being in Division One, being not being too taxed uh, during the league. But I feel as is often the case, you know, you get the conclusion to your league can create issues going into the, the championship, and there's certainly one or two there for Galway. Yeah, the whole league I think has given us the impression of quite a the playing field might be even more level than it was last year, <laughs> which is which is great with the championship coming up. And of course, we're going to have the little hors d'oeuvre of the a unique league final next Sunday. Um, Sean, we will talk to you soon. Thanks very much. Cheers, Sean. No problem. And that's us for the week. Uh, thanks to Emmett, who we had on earlier. Thanks to Sean, who we had on there. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Paul. Cheers, Declan, uh, behind the desk. And we will see everybody next week. Take it easy, folks.